Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Going to do something a little bit different uh, today. For those of you who are fans of the Joe Rogan podcast, this is going to sound similar. I'm going to basically do it like Joe does it. I'm going to get these ad reads out of the way, and then we're going to get into the show. This episode is brought to you by my bookie. You know, ever since I started uh, up with the Armchair Media Network, you guys have been asking me for advice, and usually it's about on who to bet on. The truth is I have no idea who's going to win, especially now the football season is over. It's all basketball, hockey, and college basketball and whatnot. But uh, if you think you know, you got to go check out my bookie. Who you're betting on is just as important who, as who you are betting with, and that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. They've been in business for years, have great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. So that's why I'm urging you to go to my bookie. You win and they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can bet the over/under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code BEARS25 to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BEARS25 when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And the Bears Talk Underground is also brought to you by Tix Blitz. I'm work- I've been working on that, actually, it's just to try and say it, to make it sound like I'm not actually trying to trying to say it. You know what I'm saying? Tix Blitz. I'd like to take a second to tell you about our friends at Tix Blitz, the official ticket provider of the media uh, armchair media network. Uh, I'm a little out of practice, can you tell? Unlike other ticketing providers, they sneak that sneak in extra fees and unexplained service charges at Tix Blitz. The price you see is the price you pay. Unnecessary fees should not prevent you from seeing the sporting event, concert, or Broadway show of your choosing. They were very helpful in getting KISS tickets. So I'm going to see KISS on March 2nd and again March 10th. Thank you very much, TickSplits. Go to TickSplits.com and enter the promo code ARMCHAIR at checkout to receive 5% off your total ticket purchase. That's TickSplits, T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com and enter the promo code ARMCHAIR. TickSplits, guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. I'm so excited to be back, you guys. I am uh, jacked beyond jacked because the very first episode of the 2019 season, if you will, uh, the first one of the off season, and hopefully there will be several more. But uh, I, I came back now because I have a special guest uh, I was able to get in contact with and uh, get as a guest on the show, uh, former Chicago Bear tight end. 1985 Chicago Bear and therefore Super Bowl 20 champion Emery Moorhead uh, on the show. I had a fantastic uh, time uh, talking to him. Uh, it was just uh, one of those things, you know, I was able to get in contact with him. And then uh, as uh, Michael Jordan has said before, uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So I decided to take a shot and 
and here it is. So uh, just going to start things right off uh, with the interview, and then after the interview, I've got some uh, news and notes for you for what's going on with our beloved and the, the universe uh, surrounding them. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present to you Emery Moorhead from the 85 Chicago Bears. So here we are, first episode of 2019, and what a way to kick off the the drudgery that is the long NFL uh, offseason than by having my very first player interview, and he's an ex-player, one of the 85 Bears, Emery Moorhead. Emery, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be uh, a first. Yes, you are my first, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah. it's fantastic, and... I thought it was appropriate for me to to have you on the show because or or for for me to have you I should say because you and I do have somewhat of a connection as far as our roots are concerned you and I both from Evanston Illinois went to ETHS uh, Evanston Township High School uh together so I thought why not have you be the very first uh guest on the uh first player guest on the show Well it's a pleasure and Evanston as you know community to grow up in and learn about people and be involved with different types of people and all kinds of people and learn a craft that you want to pursue because Everson is very good at getting you, if you like something and you want to pursue it, they can get you there. They're, they're just, just a great place to grow up. Absolutely. I enjoyed my time there uh, tremendously. Um, when When were you at Evanston? I was there from uh, 19, it's a long time ago now, Larry, but <laughs> 1968 to 1972. In 1968, before I got there when I was an eighth grader, in that spring, that's when Evanston won the state basketball championship. Right. And Martin Wazir, who was the coach at Evanston during those 60s and 70s, uh, he was just an unbelievable football coach. Yeah. Uh, at Evanston, he coached for, I think, 16 years, for 18 years, he had 15 losses in 18 years. Yeah. So he coached more games in football than he lost. So he was a tremendous coach. Uh, Jack Burmaster was the basketball coach at one state in 68. And it was just a, it was a time at Evanston where everything, everybody, all the teams were competing for state championships. And, and if you didn't win a state championship at that time, you know, you couldn't even you know, you you don't got bragging rights. That's just the way it is. And ironically, I was back in the school about two or three months ago for a benefit fundraiser. Mm. And I looked at the coach's lounge right next to Beersley Gym where the basketball was. And there was a small room, probably 12 by 12. And I thought to myself, all these personalities, you know, uh, Elias George, uh, unbelievable wrestling coach. Wrestling coach, yeah. Uh, Jack Burmaster, the state championship basketball coach. Mernie Lazier won like four or five state championships in football. Uh, McGowan uh, was, was a unbelievable. He's in the Illinois State Hall of Fame for baseball and and, uh, and and soccer and the swimming. All these guys won state championships. And I looked at them. I'm like, how did all those personalities get into that coach's lounge every day? Yeah, because it was just a great competitive place to be, and those coaches set the standard for all Everston athletics. 
Yeah, my, uh, my, my coach, uh, John Real, also accomplished a great deal, and the state championship was the, the one thing that we couldn't uh, give him. We were actually – the my junior year in 94 was the closest that Evanston has been to a state title game since – the last state championship sure. run. Yeah, we made it to the made it to the semis against Homewood Flossmoor and came up short. Yeah, I don't think they've been even close since then. No, I think a couple of years after we had a team in, I think ninety seven. I think a couple of years a year after I graduated in ninety seven, they had a team that was nine and zero. They were ranked nationally, you know, USA Today, the whole nine yards. But they fell one round short of what we did. They made it to the to the yeah. quarters. We made it to the semis. So we're yeah. the we we. Yeah, those two teams tied for the most victories in a season, but we made it further. We were eleven and two; they were eleven and one. So wow, that's uh, okay. kind of our okay. little claim to fame um, right. there. So, where did you go to middle school? Just so we can kind of narrow this down. Uh, well, I went, I went to the original Skiles, which is now King Lab. Okay, all right. Uh, that was a junior high at the time. Skiles was a junior high, and it was uh, two and a half blocks from my house. Yeah, okay. That's where I grew up on the west side. Did you go to Dewey? I went to Dewey as well. Oh! This is this is crazy because I went to Dewey for kindergarten to fourth grade, and then in 1960, the uh, open housing and the equal education, uh, and I started busing kids. And I was the first kid. Our class in fifth grade was the first gr- uh, class to get bused over to Skokie. Oh. And I went to Timber Ridge fifth and sixth grade, but K through Fourth, I went to Dewey School, and then when they passed the uh, 1964, they passed the uh, Equal Opportunity, and everybody, we had integration laws, and we had integrate schools in, in Skokie, mm-hmm. and I was on the west side. And in all, in all true facts, uh, I was going probably eight or nine blocks to Dewey, but Timber Ridge was like four blocks from me. So mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it worked out, and I'll never forget it. We were the first kids in yeah, not just the state, but the entire United States to be uh, forced integration. And wow. Edison was the first of that, yeah. Okay. Cause a little I, Black History Month for you here. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, February. There you go, yeah. Because I went to Dewey as well. I was uh, third through fifth grade. That's where I went to, that's where I went to grade school. And then I actually went to Chute uh, for middle school and then back to uh, right. E-Town sure. for, uh, for high school. So. Okay. Um, so what what position did you play in 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 high school? Because I saw like your first year, or like you were drafted out of Colorado, where you went to college as a receiver. So were you a receiver at Colorado? Or well, I was uh, at Colorado. Well, out of high school, I was a uh, I was a tight end, and then my senior year, we had a junior by the name of Howard Jones, and Howard Jones had made all state as a sophomore. And he also won the state championship in the 100 to 220 and anchored the 800-yard relay three years in a row. Wow. And he he was the halfback. And then he broke his arm in a Labor Day scrimmage a week before our opening game. And they moved me in the halfback. And I played my senior year at Edmiston as a halfback. Oh. And, uh, and, and went to Colorado in 1972. Uh, as a running back wide receiver uh, at that time in the country behind Oklahoma and Nebraska, the Big 8 had a 1-2-3 sweep in the national polls before the, they had national championships. Right. And I went out to Colorado representing Evanston and uh, then eventually got moved to a wing back 
which today would be the hybrid tight end that they're using in the NFL and all over. Uh, but that's why I got drafted. That's why I got drafted into the NFL as like a running back slash receiver because they didn't really know what to do with me. And then yeah. eventually, after screwing around uh, two years in New York Giants as a wide receiver, and then my third year I got moved to fullback. Okay. And then got traded to Denver as a wide receiver. And uh, then in 1981, I got cut by the Broncos, picked up by the Bears, and uh, I made it through training camp and then got released at the last cut. And uh, seven games into the season, they needed a wide receiver. And I came back to the Bears, returning kickoffs, doing wide receiver, playing special teams, basically anything they wanted to play for family and uh, ended up firing the coach in 1981 coach dick i asked him could i play tight end and i ended up playing another seven years uh after that as the bears including uh super bowl 20 so it was a very good run for me uh more than i ever expected i got a lot more than i you know probably put in and uh the rest is so the your time, uh, I mean, was that like a big thrill for you? Because this is a time in the NFL where there really wasn't any free agency. If you if you were drafted by a team, you're pretty much stuck there for your entire career unless you got traded, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And you had an opportunity to go and play for the Bears. I mean, was were you like a waiver wire pickup, or were you, were you actually a free agent when you when you ended up with a, them? I was a waiver wire pickup, and my quarterback at Colorado was a running back backing up Walter Payton, Dave Wade. Wow, this most famously known for returning the kickoff back Thanksgiving Day in overtime, being the shortest overtime game in NFL history. Right. And he said, "You ought to pick up Emory Moorhead." And uh, and general manager at the time, Jim Sinks, went ahead. And did and uh, and I ended up playing, you know, eight years for the Bears after three in New York, a year in Denver, and uh, you know, it's just it's just it's just funny how things happen. You just have to be in the right place at the right time. And I was a waiver wire pickup for one coach, and I moved to tight end and uh, Robin Earl and Bob Fisher and Mike Cobb were the tight ends at the time. And I think they caught 10 passes the whole year between the three of them. And coming in from wide receiver, I figured, you know what, I might not be able to block as much. And I got there, and all of a sudden, uh, Dickens offense he bought from the Dallas Cowboys uh, really suited me well. And uh, enough I learned from Coach Lazier and Everson about the fundamentals of blocking, all that stuff was way more important than catching passes and uh, ended up giving me a solid position for seven more years. Yeah, because this was a time in the league where where basically running was 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 paramount, and uh, you know, so it was all blocking and tackling uh, back right. then. So being a Rob Gronkowski back then, being a, a more of a pass catcher than than a blocker was not really a thing uh, in the NFL in no, those days. I, yeah, and then you play for Coach Dicka, and you have a halfback and Walter Payton. Yeah, and the reason that he knew what the deal was when it came to Chicago, we had a best running back. Mm-hmm. And he knew that. And so first and paramount was always blocking, blocking. And, uh, again, the fundamentals I learned at Edmonton High School, the footwork, the techniques, Dick every those things, it made it easy. And then you got a halfback like Walter Payton where you, 
you know, you're not going to tackle him by reaching your arm out nope. and trying to tackle him. So just, I just stayed busy on those linebackers and kept in their face. And we also would run through the arm tackles, and I succeeded for quite a while. Yeah, I've uh, I, the, somebody started passing around. It was a, a video talking about his MVP season back in 77. And, and just, I mean, he was only a third-year guy in yeah. 77. And, yeah. you know, ba- watching him, the way he ran the football then, watching the way some of these guys ran the football now, Sweetness looked like a savage compared to what those guys – I mean, uh-huh. they're, they're obviously bigger, stronger, faster, but they weren't running as hard or as determined as Sweetness was in those, those highlights. I mean, the things you look at in, in film, you watch him do what he did, it was amazing yeah. to watch him do his thing. Well, well, those first five or six years, I mean, the Bears' offense was Walter left, Walter right, passed the ball a third down to Walter. I mean, he was a workhorse. Yeah, and the '77 season, I think he had over 1,850 yards, and just so happened the very last game of the year, I came to New York to play the Giants. Right, and the one thing Giants held their hat on was defense, and they were not going to let Walter get 2,000, and they held him up, they held him back for the final game, but uh, that was the first of the Bears' two playoff runs under Neil Anderson or Neil Armstrong. I'm sorry. Right. 77 and 79, and that 77 season was probably the best, you know, all-around season that he had. But I know that, you know, as we got Walter, as we got Bill McMahon, we got better offensive line, uh, we drafted Willie Gould, uh, Dennis McKinnon came in as a free agent. The workload wasn't all on him anymore. And then, of course, in 85, he, when Dicker took the job in 82, we kept Buddy Ryan as the defensive coordinator, and our defense got better and better and better every year. And uh, it just built up to that 85 season where the defense was unstoppable, and we had a lot of players making a lot of plays. It wasn't, you know, all Walter anymore. Willie Goff stretched it. Defense, McKinnon was a terror and a tough blocker and a guy that could go inside, and I would stretch the defense up the seam. So, uh, it wasn't the same for Walter, but for the Bears overall, it was uh, it was an incredible transition to uh, being one of the better teams and probably the best team in the league in '85. Now, you you mentioned uh, Buddy Ryan, and you can't talk about '85 without talking about the defense. But one thing that I wanted to know, especially from somebody who was there every day, was was there a rivalry between offense and defense, like there appeared to be between Ditka and oh, Buddy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Buddy was his own guy. And uh, he would tell Dicker, you know, I'll take care of the defense, you take care of the offense. And then during the game, Buddy would come over to the guys on offense, you know, McMahon and myself and Walter, and he'd go, look, give me 10 points, and I'll turn the dogs loose, and the game's over. And that's exactly what he did. Once we got ahead, uh, the defense, they just start blitzing on every play, and it was just you know, sack the quarterback, get rid of the quarterback, see what the second string quarterback looks like. And then we had a rookie in Kevin Butler yeah. who uh, set, a, set our Bears record that year for most points in the season. He was just right on. He was dead middle all the time. And he was one of the guys, a great, a great personality off the field. He fit right in with our team. And it was just everything came together in one year. And that was 85. Yeah, '85 was uh, was a special year. I was only I was only seven years old, but I remember a lot of it quite vividly. And one of the things that I do 
remember was just how alive the city was that year. Like from start to finish, it's like everybody knew that this was going to happen and it wasn't going to be taken from us in the NFC championship game. Like it was the year before in in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, the year 85 before, is it. We lost 23 to nothing right. in San Francisco. And the fans was yelling at us, bring your offense next time. Bring your offense. Right. And, boy, and then they ran that, that big, big uh, lineman in the backfield. I was the pre- precursor of Fridge running the ball in 85. <laughs> and, uh, boy, we never forgot it. And that year, I mean, every game was – we played it as the most important game of the year. And, uh, boy, it was a great year. I mean, when the playoffs started, it was just lights out. I mean, we were going for the juggler on everything. And uh, there was no way we were going to lose after 84 season, being yeah. one game away from the Super Bowl. Yeah, it was uh, – you, you go back and you watch some of those. And, you know, YouTube, you can find, you know, games if you know where to look. And uh, watching the – I was remember I sat down and watched, like, the Bears against the Jets in 85 when you travel up to the – the Meadowlands and the Jets had one of the best offenses in football and they damn near beat Ken O'Brien to death in that game. And, you know, watching Otis Wilson fly around, here comes Wilbur Marshall. And if it isn't him, it's the fridge or McMichael or Richard Dent and everything. I mean, they were absolutely everywhere. And Ken O'Brien, who was like one of the top passers in the year, could not breathe that game. No, it was was, the defense was a menace to everybody. And they would just say, you know, we're going to knock the quarterback out and see how good the second straight guy is. That was their plan <laughs> every week. And it worked probably seven out of 16 games where they got to the second uh, string quarterback. And I'll never forget, I had my roommate in college, Otis McKinney. He played for the Raiders. And we played the Raiders in 84. And they knocked out, I think it was David Hum, and then the backup quarterback. And Ray Guy, the punter, had to finish the half. <laughs> And he said, yeah, he said they were fighting in the locker room. Which quarterback had to go finish the game? Because neither one wanted to go back in and face the Bears defense. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it set NFL records for all-time sacks. Yeah. And if you could think about all-time sacks, just think about how many times they hit the quarterback. Right. You know, they didn't get the sack, and they punished the quarterback. And that was the whole thing. Our defense was rough. And as an offense, you know, we led the league in time of possession. We led the league in running the football. And uh, and then we also would get the ball where the defense would create turnovers on the other side of the 50. So it was uh, it was a great year for everybody involved, if you were a Bear fan. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and 85 was the first year. Yeah, that was the year. Yeah, that was the first year that I, as a, as a you know, a seven-year-old kid, that was the first year that I was – following a team then you know so it's like yeah you, and, you probably had your gym and sunglasses and yep. super bowl shuffle jersey and the yeah. whole nine yards. i had it all man and <laughs> i had a um i had a uh, bedtime so i had to go to bed on the monday night game against miami so in 85 i never saw the bears lose a game not once in all the games that i watched because i didn't get yeah. to see the miami game on monday night so yeah. the bears well, were undefeated as far was- as i was concerned yeah, well, that 85, that, that Monday night game, it was just one of those games where John Shula had a game plan to handle our defense. Mm-hmm. And without going into detail, what he did was pretty good. But as NFL coaches do, the next week we copied the exact same plan on offense to get away from the pass rush that Don Shula did. And I give him credit. They beat us that day. We fought our butts off. But 
they had a plan for us, and they was able to get around the rush, and it changed everything. But uh, you know, like I said, uh, as as most coaches do when they see something that works, they usually put it in their game plan. We put it in next week and uh, did the rest of the year with it. So we were hoping to get them at the Super Bowl, but they yeah. lost to uh, New, New England. England. Yeah. And, yeah, they lost to New England. We're hoping to get them back. Yeah, that'd have been cool to be able to write that uh, write that yeah. one wrong on the the blemish on the record. Yeah. So, yeah. and that was that was Dan Marino and uh, Duper you know, and receivers Matt Clayton. Moore and Duper and yeah, yeah they were loaded too. Now they have some stuff too. Yeah, and they were also the defending AFC champions. They were in the Super Bowl the year before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were good. So the what was the Super Bowl like back then? Because obviously it's 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 it gotten grander in scale. The, you know the the stakes are still the same. You get a championship and the trophy and bragging rights, if you will. But you know with the the way that the world is now and and the, the social media and the twenty four hour news cycle, it's a it's much bigger than it was uh, back then. But you know the you in eighty five with that team was still a pretty big deal for yeah. for those Bears to make it to the championship. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, to uh, be really honest with you, that year we made a lot of football fans for the NFL. Yeah. I met more women that said I never followed football until the 85 Bears, and now I'm a more of a maniac over the Bears than my husband is. <laughs> and it was a thing where we just caught the eye nationally. We were all about you know, getting out there, the fridge was on. T- everybody had TV commercials. Yeah. Everybody had radio shows. I remember everybody that. Everybody had golf tournaments. We really pumped up the uh, publicity of the 85 Bears and the NFL. And everybody was all about that. And uh, then after that, they started instructing rules. Uh, you cannot wear, uh, you know, anybody's. Uh, advertising and interviews after the thing. Everybody has to have the same shoes. You can't have individual shoe contracts. Everything changed because the 85 Bears maxed everything there. <laughs> you know, we maxed everything out. And then the NFL said, you know, we can't do it. And then eventually uh, they got to where teams was the league signed with Nike in the 90s. And then there was Reebok. And, and so everything changed. The jerseys. They were alternating jerseys. Reebok would have a five-year career, and then uh, then uh, Nike would have a five-year uh, contract, and then the shoes were all the same. And, and you couldn't do individually what we did as individually. And the league saw what we were doing, and they capitalized on it, captured it, and sent it out league-wide. Uh, so it was totally different. And we had a lot more fun, uh, but of course, after '92. Uh, free agency became a thing, and uh, and everything was controlled after that. Everybody started making more money, and the league was making more money, and they were they were uh, you know all of a sudden there was league caps, and they had to spend this amount of money. The league's totally different today than it was in 1985. Sure, sure. Now you uh, unfortunately the 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 Challenger shuttle, which we just had an anniversary for. The, the tragedy of that canceled your trip uh, to the White House where you were going to meet President, uh, I believe, Reagan at the time. Reagan. Yeah. And did you uh, join the team at the White House when President Obama invited you guys out there? Yeah, everybody came. Are you kidding? Everybody came except for him. Yeah, uh, right. 
and uh, and it was the best time because when we got on the plane, we even had the same stewardesses that we had in 1985. Wow! So it was it was yeah, it was crazy. We get on the plane, and uh, everybody's acting as if it was the same as 1985. Everybody regressed to like how we were back then. To your young, foolish selves, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, we get on the plane, we jet out to uh, D.C., we have lunch in a hotel, we go meet Obama at the White House, they have another uh, uh, food and things for us, and uh, boy, we ride back on the plane at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we get back at 4.30 in Chicago, and it was like, wow, that was just one unbelievable great day. And I was so glad we were able to do it and able to do it with President Obama because he was a Chicago guy. Right. And his first year in Chicago was 1985. So oh, he was wow. more than happy to host us. Yeah. Okay. Too bad he was a Cubs fan, though. That's That was the only thing I didn't yeah. like about yeah. former President I'm Obama. I'm guy on North Side. Come on, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Away, man. Yeah. He's <laughs> the way. my whole life. Come on. He finally won. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, uh, you know, we we talked about the, the the rivalry that was you know kind of carried between the two coaches between Ditka and, and Ryan uh, in '85. Did anything? What changed, if anything, in '86 when Buddy left to go coach the Eagles? Well, we were number one in total defense. We were number one in uh, sacks. Still was the same, but the difference was the pressure. I mean, mm-hmm. Dick uh, Buddy had a Buddy would put the pressure on quarterbacks. The next year, we were still in sacks. We were still in total defense and everything. Still number one against the run. But the pressure, uh, the consistent pressure, uh, because of Buddy's uh, risk-taking, knowing his defense, uh, that was gone. We played a version of the 46, but much more conservative uh, most of the time. And... uh, it was just a different, it was just, you know, when you look at the stats, they're still the same, but it just wasn't the same fear that we put in offenses that they did before. Yeah, because statistically they were even better in 86 than they were in 85. Right. The the, per, the points per game were lower, they had more sacks and, and things like that, but we ran into the Redskins in the, you know, divisional round that one game, and Daryl Green and his disconnected, disconnected or dislocated rib muscle or whatever on that punt return yeah. – was yeah, uh, was the death was knell to the, Bell, to the Bears repeating in 86. Yeah, that was a tough deal. and uh, But it just wasn't the same fear. I can just say the defense wasn't feared like it was with Buddy Ryan. It was very much feared before. And right. uh, Vince Thorman did a great job and he integrated from 46 and integrated his own defense. But that fear factor wasn't was was not there. And of course, every time you win a Super Bowl, every team in the league is dissecting what you do to try to figure out how to stop you the next year too. So there was you know there was some changes, and the league got better and figured this out. But we still went twelve and two, twelve and four, uh, the next three years. So uh, it was still a good team. We just couldn't we just couldn't close it out to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, eighty six. Um... 86 was a crazy year. You guys went 14 and 2. I mean, you if 15 and 1 is hard to duplicate and you almost pulled it off and and then came up short in the playoffs and then um next year in, in 87 was a strike season and you actually went through two work stoppages in your career. I did. I did. This is why I appreciate the union to this day. Uh because they fought for the middle guy. 
Yeah. You know, they fought for the guy, that, you know, the superstars are making the money, but the guy in the middle, they increased all that. And I went to a strike in 82, and they were asking for 55% of the growth. Well, guess what? There are over 60% of the growth going to players today. Mm-hmm. And then in 87, we wanted free agency. They got it in 92, and when they got the free agency, the salaries, they had to split part of the part of the uh, revenue. And they were forced to open their books, and they were forced to give uh, a certain percentage uh, salary cap to the players. And, and, and with free agency, it went through the roof. Right. Uh, so I was just a little bit too late to capitalize on it, but I struck twice to get the benefits that players are getting today, and they reap the benefits that the older guys have, uh, you know, put their jobs on the line, had a work stoppers, didn't get paid for weeks uh, to provide some of these kids. And we said it at the time, we're not going to benefit. It's going to be our kids and our grandkids that are benefited, and those are the people that are benefiting today. Right, and the the one in '87 where they brought in the scab players. What was what was that like for you guys? Well, I was messed up. I mean, you know, I mean, why? Uh, you know, I'm sure, I, I had friends that, that did cross the line, and uh, because they needed the money. But uh, you know, we were trying to do the best for what everybody, everybody for the future could benefit. But uh, a lot of guys crossed the line. Some of the big high rollers you know, quarterbacks and people that were making a lot of money across the line, across the league. But the Chicago Bears didn't have one player, one of two teams in the entire league that didn't have one player across the picking line. I mean, we stayed together solidly. And, uh, you know, that was, that's, that's what team is all about, not having people looking out for themselves, looking out for others. And I'm proudly saying that we're one of two teams uh, that didn't have people cross the line. Was the other one the Redskins? I was thinking it was the Redskins, but I don't want to go there because I'm 40 years ago or 30 years ago. I can't remember. Yeah. But I was thinking in my back of my mind it was the Redskins, but I'm not sure. Yeah. It was either because they won the Super Bowl both years that the that the NFL went on strike. They won it in 82. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they uh, they won it in 82 with Joe Theismann and then again in 87 with Doug Williams. So it was uh, it was kind of weird how that, how that worked out. Yeah. But uh, – that was unbelievable. Doug Williams came out of nowhere, <laughs> took Dre Schroeder's job, yeah, and uh, and threw four touchdowns in the second quarter of that game against the Broncos. I think right. it was, and uh, they won a Super Bowl. That was that was incredible, incredible game. So, in '87, of course, that was Sweetness's last season. That loss to the. Uh, to the Redskins, what was the yeah, the locker room he had, like? He and Gary Fitzgerald. He and Gary Fitzgerald. That's uh, right. Both of those guys, two long time time Bear players. It was their last year, and uh, and we lost that game. You know, we wanted to win another Super Bowl, but it's hard. I'm telling you right now, it's hard. If they win back to back and watch your team get the taste of victory and championships. And, you know, you can't tell anybody that it wasn't there. They were the reason that we didn't win the Super Bowl in '85. And Eagles come into play, and it was just it was it's a lot tougher. That's why I give the Chicago Bulls winning three in a row. Jordan goes out, comes back, and they went three in a row. That's that's just tough to stay focused and to do. And uh, I can very much appreciate the effort that they gave during those years uh, because it's not easy to do. 
Yeah, and it's uh, and then when you move forward to '88, that was your last year in the league. One last playoff run. We come up short to the 49ers in the championship game, but the week before that, you got to play in the famous uh, Fog Bowl against the Eagles. Well, I I had broke my leg the last. Oh, uh, is that right? I had broke my leg against the L.A. Rams like the first week in December, so I was done, and I was up in the press box. And you couldn't see a thing. I was going to say, so you didn't get to watch the game, yeah. No. In fact, eventually the TV just used, they took handheld cameras down to the field level because that was the only way you're going to get any kind of vision. And you couldn't at those, even at that level, you couldn't tell when a quarterback would pass a ball. Uh, By the time it came down in the receiver's hands, you never saw it. Right. I mean, uh, they had an unbelievable team with Randall Cunningham and uh, uh, Keith Byers, yeah. Keith Jackson, the tight end, uh, Mike Quick. They had an unbelievable offense to go with a very good Buddy Ryan defense. But they couldn't see the ball in the air, and they were dropping passes, hitting them in the chest because you couldn't see it. You couldn't see the ball up in the air. Once it got above about six, seven feet in the air, it was gone. And uh, that was an unbelievable game. And uh, the Bears did win that, but then we lost to the 49ers. It was that old infamous bear weather game. So it was one of those cold games. We thought the 49ers would come in here and lay down. Uh, You know, they didn't. They played. They won. And, uh, you know, that's another great coach. Uh, And actually, that might have been Seifert. Instead of uh, no, it was Walsh. That was uh, second. It was Walsh. To, okay, yeah, it yeah. was Walsh. Yeah, yeah that was his last okay, year. Yeah. That, was that was Walsh's last, last year. year. I mean, Walsh was unbelievable coach, and Dick and him were very competitive, and he used to always call him the so-called genius. And uh, but uh, he was a great offensive football coach. Yeah, the, the defense was the defensive coordinator. He was. Actually. Yeah, and yeah. they actually the Bears and the Niners uh, played earlier in the year on. Monday Night Football for an extremely low scoring, but one of the most exciting games I remember ever watching. Just it was one defensive struggle after another. I think the Bears won ten to nine or something uh, like that. Yeah. And I just remember watching you know, that game as a kid. Yeah, it's ironic that the Forty ers were known as an offensive football team, but their defense was always fourth or fifth in the league, mm-hmm. but never you know the offense was what. Um, uh, to the people is what the 49ers were all about. And the Bears were just the opposite. They were always number one in defense. And our offense was fifth or sixth every year. And uh, But it was known for the defense. So it was a great matchup. So, 88, that was that was it for you, correct? That was it. My last year, I retired. I sold the real estate. Started selling real estate in 1986 after the Bears won the Super Bowl uh, in, in Northbrook and Deerfield. Uh, which at that time was Canning and Stray, which is today is Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, and I sold real estate for 27 years for the same company and uh, retired uh, five years ago, uh, nice. 2013, over five years ago. And I've been retired and spent time between Chicago and Colorado. Colorado, nice. Yeah, so. Yeah. Did the NFL have things like they have now, programs to either prepare you for life after football, or like because I know they have yeah. like the rookie symposium where they tell them how to take care of their money no. and stuff like that. 
In fact, I am a, a board member of the Gene Upshaw Player System Trust, hmm. which is a, uh, a committee out of Washington, D.C. with the NFL Replay, Retired Players Association, the NFLPA. Mm-hmm. And uh, we give money out to players that are in need, uh, players that can get up to $15,000 uh, and a one-time grant to pay for bills and education. and uh, All of these things have come in the last 10 years. And I'm proud to say I've been a part of it. Uh, all these things, when they did their last negotiation in 2011, uh, NFL gave the Players Association a huge amount of money. And they said, this is the money. You figure out how you're going to spend it. And they, play it on, they spent it on... Uh, retirement benefits for active players, uh, two-to-one matching for one case, uh, the, the education portion, uh, being able to go back to college. Uh, they spent it on a lot of benefits for the players, and then they gave uh, some money to retired players as well. And, uh, you know, this committee I'm on, uh, it gets half of the fine money for every NFL player that gets fined by the NFL so we can afford to give these grants out to act to players that are in need and then also to give grants for players that have foundations. We give up to $20,000 a year for players that have grants or found for foundations. We give those grants away to help them uh, work in the community. So, uh, you know, I'm just glad to still be kind of affiliated a little bit with the league in that respect. Awesome. That's fantastic. So real estate, that's what you got into. What did you go to school for in Colorado? Actually, I went to school for communications, radio and TV. And uh, when I got ready to retire, uh, I interviewed with CBS and NBC. I was doing some weekend work. Uh, It's not weekend, but after the game work with both channels, summer internship. Uh, uh, But at that time, they were not not the outlets they have today. Right. CBS, ABC, uh, WGN and and uh, NBC and uh, they were not ESPN Sports uh, all over the you know locally on radio uh, sports talk radio none of that stuff was available back then and I had an opportunity to work with CBS they wanted to send me to Rockford or Milwaukee and at the time I said you know what I'd rather stay in Chicago I can I'll do the real estate and I'll be around. And uh, and then that stuff just exploded over the years, and who knows what it could have been. But I I lived a happy life doing what I did, selling real estate for people, meeting a lot of people in Chicago, and uh, and I feel happy with that. I retired five years ago, uh, like I said, and um, living living comfortably in Colorado and Chicago, and always glad to meet the fans. And, Converse about the Chicago Bears. Absolutely. Now, part of your post-football life was watching your your son Aaron uh, Moorhead grow up, who uh, who went to Deerfield. How did that happen? Well, I was living in Deerfield when I played for the Bears. Okay. So he grew up in Deerfield, and uh, my wife did not want to go to Evanston, so we moved to Deerfield, which was you know close to Lake Forest, close to Evanston, Chicago. Sure. And. Uh, he ended up playing at the University of Illinois. Another great story. Uh, he played for a five and four team at Deerfield. All they did was run the ball. He was a receiver. He walked on to Illinois and got a preferred walk on 
to my former teammate, Leslie Frazier, yeah. who was a defensive back coach down there. So he got out there, he earned a scholarship, ended up starting for two years, and got benched the senior year, and uh, didn't get drafted, didn't get invited to the uh, combine. And uh, he walked on uh, uh, at the Indianapolis Colts as a free agent and made the team and played five years there, won a Super Bowl, and now he's coaching. He's at Vanderbilt coaching wide receivers. He's been coaching for nine or ten years in college football. And uh, it just goes to show you, uh, you know, if you believe in yourself, you know, he walked on to Illinois. He's a free agent with the Colts. He won a Super Bowl. So anything can happen if you believe and work at it. you got to just believe in yourself and work at what you want to do to get better and do more than everybody else is doing, and you can be successful, and he's a perfect example of that. Now, did uh, did Aaron, by any chance, did he play varsity his sophomore year in, in uh, at, at Deerfield, at Deerfield? No, they, he was sophomore team, freshman, okay. sophomore, and, and uh, uh, they, don't, they didn't bring people up as much as they do I see. today. No, the reason I ask is that when I was uh, looking up Aaron's uh, career, I saw that he was born in, in 1980, which means he's only two years younger than me. So if he had played yeah. varsity his sophomore year, he and I would have played against each other my yeah. senior year at Evanston. So yeah. I was just and wondering. He started, he started uh, school a year early. He was a young, he oh, was okay. a young kindergartner. So he was a young kindergartner. He was I the see. youngest in his class in the field. Yeah, he was a 17-year-old graduate, I think. So was it uh so was it a bittersweet thing when your son makes it to the Super Bowl which is every football player's dream but he does it against your team and the Bears? Well, you know what I told him and everybody asked me. I'm like, "You know what? I know how hard it is to get there, and when you get there, you got to win." So I'm pulling for my son. Right. <laughs> you know, as opposed to the fans, I said, I pull for the fans every game, but there's one game I'm pulling for my son. And uh, because I know that once you get there, it's not easy just to get there, let alone win. And uh, you better win it when you get there because there's no, our team's the perfect example. There's no guarantee you're going to get back again. Yeah, I mean, that, but that, that conference championship Sunday had to be quite a roller coaster for you. The Bears and the Saints kicking things off and the Bears win. So, oh, great, my old squad makes it and now I'm watching my son and the first half of that that AFC championship game the, the Colts are down 21 to 3 at halftime they had that interception that went back for a touchdown they're kind of like man the yeah. Patriots is going to walk away with this thing then the second half yeah. happens and Peyton's doing his thing and the the the, the Colts end up making it and it was it was a crazy Sunday I was- I know, but I was just getting ready to say, but I watched a lot of the Colt game, and I got a guy by the name of Peyton Manning. <laughs> and you're never out of it. You're never out nope, of it when you got Peyton Manning. That guy is unbelievable. And, uh, I mean, to me, uh, watching it with my son playing, I've never, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, they're never out of anything. They're never out of anything because he is a student of the game. He studies it all. He knows what he's doing. And don't leave any time on the clock or, you know, it's going to happen. And uh, sure enough, uh, they were able to beat the, you know, they were able to beat the uh, the, the New England Patriots. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough to beat them. It's tough to beat them today. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they are so good. 
And, uh, you know, Brady and Belichick, they figured things out. And uh, the coach, it was their year. And i tell you what happened. They had a safety by the name of Bob Sanders. Yeah. And he had missed about probably 10 games. And he came back for the playoffs. And all of a sudden, that defense with Dwight Freeney and uh, all them guys, all of a sudden, it was a different team. Mm -hmm. Because every game was a 44-40 game or a 35-30 game. And then when when Bob Sanders showed up right around when the playoffs started, all of a sudden, that defense was a total defense different defense and uh he was only five nine yeah. like 190 pounds and he was hurt a lot because he was small but when he was in there he was a game changer yeah absolutely and my uh, my buddy of mine uh he was uh he's from from i uh, from the illinois quad city area where where i'm uh where i've been living and he was a big iowa fan and a, he was a, a lifelong uh, colts fan so he followed bob sanders all yeah, through his uh, uh, through his career. I mean, in 07, the year after the Super Bowl, Bob Sanders was the NFL defensive player of the year. So even all five nine hundred ninety pounds of him was the best player in on the defense side of the football yeah. for one season. He's a game changer. He's yeah. a game changer. I'm telling you, he came back at the right time, and all of a sudden that defense, you know, they weren't giving up 30 points a game. They were playing tough. And, uh, and when you got a quarterback like uh, Peyton Manning and – uh, Marvin Harrison catching 130 passes a game. And yeah. Reggie Wayne was just starting to play a lot. And then they had a tight end, 44 from Iowa. Yeah, Dallas uh, Clark. Dallas Clark, man, that guy was good too, man. That <laughs> was good too. And they had uh, a rookie, uh, 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 what was he from LSU? Uh, uh, Adai Joseph Adai, yeah. Adai. Joseph Adai. And they gave up uh, – Probably the Hall of Famer, uh, Edgerin uh, James, running back, Edgerin James. So, I mean, they were loaded. They were loaded, big man. And you know, like I said, when you get there, you gotta win because you never know when you're gonna get back. And that team was as good as any, and uh, they never got back that that particular team. Yeah. So, um, what do you think of uh, of the Bears as as they are? Now, I mean, did you see twelve and four coming out of the team that was, you know? Uh, from... No, anybody that said they saw twelve and four is lying. <laughs> and, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to be twelve and four next year yeah. because they're going to have a tougher schedule, and they lost the key, their defensive coordinator, who's out here in Denver right now as the head coach. Yeah, and uh, that guy knew what he was doing, and he made that defense. People out here in Denver always ask me what. Uh, who, 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 who is? I, don't know, I was like, look. I said, he took over the Bears' defense. They were like 28th in the league. Mm-hmm. The next year, they were 18th, the yep. first year. And the second year, they were top 10. And last year, they were like one of the top two or three defenses in the entire league. Yeah. Uh, they're going to miss that guy. I mean, they're going to miss him. There's no doubt. It's going to be a different team next year and with a tougher schedule. Uh, that's why I was hoping this year they were going to go some places because there's no guarantee for next year. Uh, it just isn't. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of things, and they were healthy. Usually the healthiest team gets to the playoffs and wins it because when you have to play with three or four guys you weren't counting on coming out of training camp to be starting, sure, you might get a surprise out of one or two, but once you start getting more and more into the depth of your team you better you better have good depth 
because most teams don't go through the year uh, playing with the same lineup they started with health-wise. Yeah. So uh, when you get a chance and you get there like the Bears did last year, they, they should have went further. I'm kind of disappointed in that, mm-hmm. and there's no guarantees that next year they're going to do the same as they did this year. I wish they will, but, you know, I watch a lot of football in my life, and it's just no guarantee. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. But speaking of of, of injuries and, and, you know, having to count on guys you weren't counting on at the beginning of the season, when when you go back and you talk to, or you, you know, in my case, reading interviews or watching videos of the, the 85 Bears talk about why wasn't this team was, was built to be a, a dynasty with the talent. We had, what, four or five Hall of Famers on the team. When, the, when we asked yeah. them why didn't it happen, one of the big reasons was, because McMahon yeah, unfortunately going. couldn't stay healthy. Going, because he couldn't stay healthy for the next yeah. two years. I mean, uh, you know, we were bringing in people every week to play quarterback, and at the end we had a 40-year-old Greg Landry, Landry from Detroit who had been retired and came back. And uh, we were just trying to get, you know, trying to get uh, – we had Doug Flutie, we had, uh, you know, and, and what happened, McMahon got hurt, and then our backup, Steve Fuller, got hurt. And so, you know, we were it just we were, we were hurting at the quarterback position, you know, and that 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 uh, that meant a lot. And uh, you know, it's just hard to repeat without that consistency. Yeah. And he was the leader of the offense. I mean, by no means. I mean, Walton was a great player and a, and a leader. But I tell you what, it was McMahon that carried that team. You know. Uh, emotionally through the, every year. He was the heart and soul of that team. Walter was a great player and a great half-pack and a great, you know, he, he was he, he was Walter, but McMahon was the one that kind of catalyzed that, that whole offense. And when he wasn't there, you know, his leadership was missed. Absolutely. And, and um, one thing that I've heard over and over, I, I there was a story that Ditka told on the, um, the 85 Bear uh, America's game when they recapped the season about what a big prankster Walter Payton was? Did he ever pull anything yeah, well, on you? No, no. I was already in my fifth year by the time I got to the Bears, so I was fully aware of his antics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he might have pinched me on the ass a couple of times and slapped me. I'm telling you, it was the hardest pinch and slap you ever felt. But, uh, you know, the pranks were, were for the young guys and, uh, you know, those were that was his thing, throwing them eighties in the rookie locker room right when they get ready to come out two and a second session, hundred degrees, and nobody wants to be out there and yeah. Walter would throw M eighty into the locker room. Bam, everybody's scattered all over the place. You know, and he just was you know, that was his way to loosen people up, man. You know, the tough summers and summers are tough, not like they are today. Mm-hmm. Uh we would do eight weeks of two a days. And Dicka was hard, you know, he was hitting every practice, not like, you know, today. And uh, I was NFL back then. Let me ask you real quick about that. Was, you know, as a Bear fan, you know, following the team as closely as I do because of the, the podcast and everything, one of the great things about this season, you even mentioned it a minute ago, was how healthy we were when the three years previous under John Fox and even before under Tressman, we basically led the league in injured reserve. And a friend of mine and I kind of had a theory about why that possibly was, aside from just pure dumb luck and it not working out for the Bears, was because with that new collective bargaining agreement back in 20, 
11, they pretty much eliminated contact yeah. in practice. So right. we were thinking, like, are these guys getting hurt because they're not practicing football in football practice? You know, like going through the motions and doing, you know, yeah. hand touch and stuff. I'm 100% behind that theory. I'm 100% mm-hmm. behind it. Because, you know, you could only hit uh, 14, 16 days in 18 weeks, Larry. Yeah. One day, less than one day a week during the season. And then training camp is no more two a day. So when you get to the game and everything is full speed, and these guys are huge and fast and strong, uh, you're going to get hurt. Your body has to build up a tolerance to the contact, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, when you're hitting every day, your body's used to the shock, it's used to the physicality of the game. And when you go in there on Sunday and you run out there and all of a sudden, you know, everything's 100%. And uh, your body's not 100 percent used to that. Uh, it's 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 not going to work. And I think you see it by the injuries today. Uh, you know, it just happens all the time. And I'm 100 percent behind the theory that people need to have a little bit more contact during the week to get into Sunday, and especially in training camp. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I just um, you know because I used to to get into arguments with people who would who would like to just put it all on the whole they don't make them like they used to thing, and it's like they don't they don't treat them like they used to. They're 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 you know I hate to use the word pamper, but compared to what you know two days in practice, eight weeks in a row, yeah, compared yeah. to what they do now, like these guys aren't as ready as those players used to be. No, your body physically can't cannot be ready uh, the way it used to be. And when I was a first-year player back in 77, it was six preseason games, right. 14 regular season games. And so we had nine weeks of two-a-days, man, over two months worth of two-a-days every day. And now it's like three weeks, and you can't hit only once a day. You can't have pads every day. It's like a walk in the park. And... uh you know, but it's different circumstances. Uh, everything's so different today. The salaries are different. The uh, whole uh, salary cap structure is different. Mm-hmm. You know, you pay 10 guys 50% of your cap, and then the other players got to work into 50%. You know, so you have 10 guys making a lot of money, and you got 35 guys, you know, fighting for the rest of the cap. So it's totally different. You don't have to hit. You get out there and you can float through the secondary and catch passes. Nobody can touch you. Right. It's uh, totally different than it was years ago, but it's much safer. And I'm happy for the players that are playing today. Uh, not only just to be in a safer game and getting paid, uh, but it's a totally different game. And it's what we went on strike for in 1987. Right. So they can have this type of, type of life. So with the 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 hot button thing with with CTE and all that kind of stuff, I, I often wonder um, if he hadn't passed away uh, tragically back in '99, would you know how sweetness would be today? Because of the, I mean, he was a running back that initiated contact with his defenders, right. and he had like reckless abandon when it came to. Yeah. To, to getting that extra yard or getting the first down. He didn't believe in running out of bounds. He was just going to lower his head and run forward. You know, you know, I, I often wondered what kind of shape he would be in today, almost 20 years since he passed away, you know, compared to what he was when he passed away from cancer. Yeah, you don't even want to think about it because that was, 
you know, head injuries are so prevalent with the guys in our area. Yeah. Era. And like you were saying, he led with his head. He never died easy. He went out of bounds for contact every play. And uh, to look at that today, nobody is able to do that. And they know better than to do that. Mm-hmm. But that was just the way we played back then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so what are you are you doing anything with in in retirement? You just uh, putting your feet up and enjoying the enjoying your years, Larry, or are you busy? I, I'm I'm just trying to stay alive every day, eating <laughs> healthy, going out walking and, and snowshoeing in the in the winter over the golf course that I live by, and just trying to keep exercise and uh, and uh, stay alive, eating right, and trying to live a long life. All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, Emery, for for being on the show. I really appreciate it. This is a big. Big honor for me to have one of the to have one of the Bears, let alone someone that I used to that I shared the same hallways with back in elementary school yeah. and even in <laughs> high school, played yeah. on the same field and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's my pleasure, Larry. Yes, uh, anytime you want to call, you give me a call. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Emery Moorhead, Super Bowl champion, former Chicago Bear. Thank you so much. Remember, guys, uh, promo code BEARS25 to get up to $1,000 in free play at MyBookie and a promo code ARMCHAIR to get 5% off your ticket purchase at TickSplits.com. How great was that? How awesome was it? Former 85 Bear, uh, uh, Emery, Emery Moorhead, Super Bowl champion, man. That guy shared the field with Walter Payton, the greatest of all time, and played on, on easily uh, one of the greatest football teams to ever uh, set foot uh, onto a field. And, you know, we talked a bit about that. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the reason that I decided to, 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 to ask Emery to be on the show was because of the shared roots that we have. You know, we talked about it briefly uh, there at the beginning and again towards the end. Um, we, we, went, we went to the same high school, and it turns out I didn't know that until I was talking to him. If you guys heard me when I asked him, did you go to Dewey? And he said yes, and I was like, oh, because I went to Dewey Elementary School as well. And so we started at the same place, went to the same high school, played on the same field uh, in high school. Both played for legendary coaches as far as the Evanston Township High School uh, history uh, is concerned. Mernie Lazier, obviously, he's like the Popper Bear Hallis uh, of Evanston football. And, uh, you know, I played for John Real, who would be more like the uh, – well, he didn't get a championship, but he'd probably be closer to the Ditka of the of the Evanston uh, Township uh, football legacy. But um, it's um, so I decided that's you know he's the one I have to go after, and I think it's because that we are alumni. That's how we became Facebook friends because that's how I got in touch uh, with him. I'm Facebook friends with Emery Moorhead, so I actually just instant messaged him and took a shot, and there it was. You just you heard the conversation between myself and a former Bear coached by Ditka, played with Sweetness, watched the 85 defense up close and personal, um, you know, make history as, uh, as one of the best to, to, to ever uh, take the field. And, and in my estimation, was uh, the single best team uh, of all time. So had a, a great time talking to him. And I'll tell you real quick about the saga that was the night that I was going to interview him. 
Uh, I came home early from work and everything because this laptop, as you guys know, I've been having issues with it. I'm thinking about starting a GoFundMe to see if I can get you guys to help me out to get a new one because I have to get that taken care of sooner rather than later. If that's something you guys might be interested in, in, in helping me out with that, hit me up either on the Facebook page or uh, on Twitter at BTU underscore Larry. Uh, if, if you guys would be interested in, in that, uh, then let me know. Otherwise, I'm just going to nose to the grindstone and save the money and, and get, my own, get one myself. But if you guys want to help, I want to let you. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I came home early from work to get ready uh, for the interview, and I got everything prepped up. I got all my questions typed out, and uh, you know, so I have them there in front of me for reference and everything, and uh, uh, decided that, okay, one thing that I like to do before I do interviews, whether it be during the season or, or whatever, is reboot the computer. Fresh inter internet connection, because you know we've had issues with that and all the rest of that stuff. And when I did it, for some reason, one of the issues that I completely forgot, actually, because I obviously haven't been using my laptop much since the season ended, I completely forgot the new thing that the laptop has started doing is that once you when you do a reboot when you start it up you'll see that it's powered up but i'll be staring at a blank black screen for an indeterminate amount of time could be as little as 60 seconds could be as long as a couple of hours it's happened to me uh before that night was the night that it decided to do it for over an hour and 20 minutes and i i got home early i was supposed to talk to emory at 6 30 decided to reboot the computer at 5 30 and here I am, 6 o'clock, nothing, 6.15, nothing, 6.20, nothing. So I get on my phone and I message Emery to let him know what's going on. Uh, something's going on with my laptop. Uh, I'm trying to figure things out. He was very gracious, you know, said that I'm available if you, you know, if you get it figured out. Uh, even, you know, talk to him about maybe doing it later on in the week if I couldn't get it figured out tonight or if it took too long. Thankfully, after several YouTube video searches, I was able to get it uh, straightened out and get the, the laptop powered up uh, completely, and, and there we were and ready to go. But it was just <laughs> freaking out the entire time, thinking every second that I was you know, delaying this was another second that it was getting late and Emery wouldn't want to do it, or maybe next time, and then maybe next time doesn't work out, and so on and so forth. I was very much treating this like it's a now or never uh, situation, but thankfully it all worked out, and you guys heard uh, the fruits of my labor getting uh, Emery uh, on the phone and having that awesome uh, conversation uh, with him. So, real quick, before we go, I do have some news and notes because uh, some things have happened uh, since we uh, went away. Uh, we had three more guys named to the Pro Bowl roster Mitch Trubisky, Charles Leno Jr., and Cody Whitehair, all named to the Pro Bowl roster after the Super Bowl uh, people uh, bowed out uh, from, from here and there. Um, couldn't really tell you much about the Pro Bowl game itself. I tuned in to watch. I got through about half of the first quarter and noticed that they were playing glorified two-hand touch. Everybody was playing at half speed, and I became nauseous and turned it off. I couldn't even wait for Mitch to, because he's actually the one player I wanted to see play more than anybody. You know, I, I was I was up for checking out the game because we had uh, not including Khalil Mack, seven guys on the team, uh, you know, Kyle Fuller, um, uh, Tariq Cohen, uh, Eddie Jackson, 
Akeem Hicks, how could I forget him? And then the three guys on offense. So eight Bears total made the Pro Bowl. Khalil Mack bowed out because of an injury uh, after the Eagles game. So we had seven guys playing in the game, most in the NFL or tied for most, I think. And um, so I was interested in seeing our guys play. But it's like, like I said, I got through maybe half of the first quarter. And I was like, this, I'm not watching this. I'm not watching this. This is not going to sit here. It's like, why don't they just make it a flag football game? Just make it a flag football game or, you know, something like that. It's ridiculous. If they're going to do it the way that they did it, who cares? You know, the problem is it was, <laughs> it was heavily watched. The ratings for it were outstanding. So, of course, they're just going to keep doing it like that, regardless of the garbage product they're putting on the, uh, uh, on the field. But three more of our guys made it to making eight Pro Bowlers total for 2018 uh, for our beloved Chicago Bears. Uh, in other news, uh, we had a couple of former Bears retire in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Matt Slauson, uh, who was an awesome uh, guard for us, you know, for, I think, what, three, four years maybe, announced his retirement after 10 seasons. He played, uh, I think, for the Chargers, and then he retired after this season uh, with the Colts. He actually bowed out early this season. He had a neck injury. Um, that he found out that if he kept playing on it, there was a danger he could have paralyzed himself pretty much from like the neck down. So it was almost a miracle that he got hurt when he did because that neck injury was lingering and could have been fatal uh, for him. But uh, after 10 seasons, Matt Slauson uh, calling it a career. And Julius Peppers announced his retirement after 17 NFL seasons. He played the last, uh, I think, two or three uh, he went back home to Carolina. He played his first eight or nine years in Carolina before playing four seasons uh, with the Bears. Uh, it's from 2010 to 2013, I believe, were the correct. Yeah, 2010 to 2013. Um, he was awesome, especially in 2010, that year that we signed him. He was amazing, uh, just an, an outstanding football player. And for someone who, was, who kind of had bitter things to say about the team after his departure, and, and rightfully so, he was a salary cap casualty. Uh, you know, he wasn't really lighting up the world, but, you know, the, the roster around him was diminishing. So, you know, he was, anyway, he went to Green Bay, played three good years for them, and then another couple years for Carolina before calling it a career. But uh, had very gracious things to say about Chicago, its fans, uh, and the city, um, you know, embracing him uh, when we when we signed him uh, and all that kind of stuff. So in the end, Julius Peppers looks back fondly on his time with the Bears, even though when he signed with Green Bay, that was not the case. He did not have lovely things to say about the Bears when he left to, to go to uh, uh, Green Bay. In, in other non-Bear news, but Bear-related because of some headlines that our head coach and general manager made at their final press conference of the year, Kareem Hunt. The search is over. The mystery is over as to where Kareem Hunt will play his next snap of football, and that will be with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, if you look at it, it's not a big surprise that it happened that way. General manager John Dorsey of the Browns was the general manager in Kansas City that drafted uh, Kareem Hunt. So not a really that big of a surprise that the guy that drafted him would take a chance on bringing him in. Um, still no word on his discipline, how many games he's going to be suspended uh, or, or anything like that. At the very least, Cleveland has control because uh, he still has to put in like another two seasons worth of uh, service in order to be an unrestricted free agent. So even after the one year deal expires this season, they still have restricted free agents. So they basically have uh, right of first refusal uh, on on Kareem Hunt. So 
No more will they or won't they, should they or shouldn't they, as far as the Bears are concerned. Kareem Hunt is someone else's problem now. Uh, in other in, in Bears-related news, other Bear-related news, uh, Coach Nagy winning the NFL Coach of the Year at the NFL Honor Ceremony the night before the Super Bowl. Made an amazing speech. It's about three and a half minutes long. You can find it uh, online. He's very gracious, talking about the fans, the team, the whole we, not me uh, philosophy that he lives by. Just an outstanding speech. Also, Vic Fangio won for assistant coach of the year. And when they showed the voting for those two categories, it wasn't even close. It was in second place for uh, coach of the year was Anthony Lynn. And I think it was like 24 for Nagy, 10 for Anthony Lynn, not even close. And I think it was the, the margin was even wider for Fangio. I forget who number two was to Fangio, but it was like, you know, 29 to five or something. It was something ridiculous that, uh, you know, the, the, the wide, uh, the, the, the victory gap for, for Fangio winning uh, assistant coach of the year. And, of course, he has gone to Denver. Unfortunately, we talked about that uh, on our last show. And today, Vic Fangio and the Broncos made big news when they made a trade for Joe Flacco, the quarterback of the Ravens, who basically was ousted by Lamar Jackson taking the job from him. Uh, said um, terms won't be announced until the new league year starts on March 13th, but it is rumored that it was a quote-unquote mid-round pick, so third, fourth, fifth, you know, something like that, probably in that ballpark for uh, Flacco, and I think they're probably going to renegotiate his his contract while they are there. And uh, the Alliance of American Football debuted last weekend. Our former Bear Samurai, Mike Singletary, head coach of the Memphis Express, shut out by the Birmingham Iron in their debut. Uh, overall, I watched a part of all four games that were played uh, over the weekend. Number one, it is football, so that was nice. Kind of, uh, you know, softened the blow of this being the first non-NFL Sunday in, in six months. Um, it was decent football. It was entertaining enough to keep me focused or keep me engaged, I guess, watching uh, the game. Uh, it's clear at this point in the league's development, defense is way ahead of the offense. And there were a couple of teams that's, that managed to score uh, some points. Uh, there was really only one game, I think, between Arizona and Salt Lake where they both scored multiple touchdowns. Uh, I think Orlando scored the most points. They had like 40 to 6 against, I think, Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, it was... It's going to be a while, I think, before we get coordinated shootouts like we have uh, in the NFL. It's mostly the defense is ahead of the offense. Those guys were teeing off on each other. The offensive line play was not very good, uh, especially when it, became, when it came to pass protection and, and, and protecting their quarterbacks. Just about everybody was under fire most of the time when they went back to throw. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's probably going to come over time. Uh, you know, as these guys get back into playing and, and so on and getting to know each other and their offenses and things like that. But right now, defense way ahead. So early on, I think in, in the development of this league, you're going to have to be patient, waiting for the offense to catch up uh, to the defense. But uh, it was pretty good. Um, no extra points and no kickoffs. No extra points I can I can deal with. The two point play being mandatory, I think is fun. But no kickoffs. It, it just feels like it's missing something. You know, it feels like it's missing something. They're, they got rid of the kickoffs as a safety issue and because of the, the running and the impact and whatnot. Then why not? I was just why not just line it up as a punt? You know, this, wherever you kick it off from, have the guy snap the ball to the punter and have him punt. And then, 
you know, because because right there in a punting formation, the guys are blocking. You know, you have guys blocking on the line of scrimmage and got gunners and runners and stuff like that. The impact and, and the hits and things are not there. And it's a kick and, you know, there's something to kind of get going the momentum of the the game. It's just a very flat start without kickoffs. So I've heard some people saying oh, they didn't miss the kickoffs. Personally, I did. So but that's just my own taste. Uh, they'll be back on on Saturday over a variety. And I think they got games on TNT and the NFL Network, maybe CBS Sports Network, that kind of thing. So basically, you got to if you want to find a game, you got to you got to keep your eyes on it. Uh, just out of principle, I'm supporting the Memphis Express, even though they're the only team in the league that did not score a point uh, this weekend because of Samurai. And also because of me and my 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 uniform snobbery, uh, I like Memphis's helmets more than anybody else uh, in the league. Not really crazy about their road uniforms. We'll see what the, I think they're at home this week, so maybe they'll have a, a better shot at sucking me in on that one. But uh, love their helmets and their helmet logo. But yeah. Not really a big fan of the uniforms league-wide at this point. And I know that you guys were dying to know that. So finally, the, the big news uh, for regarding our Bears and their schedule for the 2019 season. The Bears, no surprise, were in big demand by the various networks for, for you know big games this year. The Bears playing the NFC East, also a big reason why they're going to be in high demand. Their first-place schedule playing the Rams and the Saints – this year put them in high demand and the fact that when the bears are successful the nfl is all over it so uh you expect to see the bears all over the place we already know that they're playing in london uh against the raiders at some point uh in the season uh rumor has it the bears will be playing the lions on thanksgiving again probably on cbs or something like that and right now they're looking at 2019, which is be going to be the 100th season of NFL football, as long as as well as the 100 foot uh, season of Chicago Bears football. They're looking for the first time since 2006 that it will not be the defending Super Bowl champion to host the kickoff game uh, for 2019. Rumor has it, and, and smart money is it being Bears Packers on Thursday night, September 5th, to kick off the 100th season of NFL slash Bears football uh, in 2019. So that's uh, very exciting that the, the Bears will be up first against Green Bay. And what a way to kick off the year, but to bury our foot and Aaron Rodgers' ass on national television for the whole world to see. I mean, that would just be fantastic to just further, uh, you know, further get into Green Bay and show them who the boss uh, in the NFC North is now and for the whole world to be able to see it. Because the Bears beating Green Bay week 15 was a regional game. Started at noon. No, no, no. Get him back on national TV and hand uh, Aaron Rodgers' ass on national television to, to right the wrong that was last year's week one loss. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's everything I got. So, feels good to be back. Uh, I'm working on some ideas on doing some other shows uh, to be back uh, between now and our free agency preview, which is actually less than a month away. And, um, you know, the Bears don't have much salary cap space. I think just over 20-something million, uh, and that's before we make, if we make any salary cap uh, cuts uh, this year. There have been some rumors, ones that I'm, I'm not fans of, quite frankly. Uh, I read, read an article saying Kyle Long would be a good salary cap casualty. And while I can't argue with the whole injury history recently, 
I do not like the idea of playing an entire season without Kyle Long. Another one that I saw that I absolutely was like, what? Was Danny Trevathan. Uh, no, I, I want the Bears to lock Danny Trevathan up to keep him around uh, for a few more years, not cut him as a salary cap casualty. Screw that. So, uh, yeah, but um, there's other people that can be trimmed. Unfortunately, somebody like Sam Acho might be expendable at this point. Uh, Deion Sims, he's most likely definitely gone. Uh, and I know that you guys are saying Cody Parkey, but again, it'll cost us more to lose him than it will to keep him. So we'll see what happens there. There's still a lot of speculation and the bears have signed, uh, a new kicker and that person's name is escaping me at the moment. But, um, at the very least competition has been brought in for Cody Parkey to try to earn and keep his job, uh, in training camp. And it could be the best thing for him. He's either going to you know, kick his way onto the team and, and win his job back. Or, you know, the Bears will cut him in training camp and probably won't cost him as much to let him go, and we'll see what happens there. But, um, you know, the next guaranteed show will be probably a week before uh, free agency. It's Tuesday, September 13th, I believe. September, March. What the hell am I thinking September? I'm thinking about the kickoff game. Uh, March 13th, whenever that is. Uh, that, is when the, uh, that is when the NFL... Uh, new, the new schedule for the, tw- the 2019 league year starts March 13th. That's when free agency starts. So about a week or so before that is when I'll be back to preview uh, free agency, what moves the Bears could make, what names are out there, who the Bears might be losing and saying goodbye to, so on and so forth. We'll get a bit more in-depth with that. But in the meantime, thinking about a couple of ideas on some shows, some things that I can uh, talk about between here and there. So, uh yeah, because uh, the thing about it is, is like I've been kind of sulking watching the Super Bowl and it was really irritating watching the Super Bowl, number one, because there were, you know, 16 points scored total in the Super Bowl. And I basically watched the Patriots use the Bears Rams, the, the Bears defensive scheme to shut the Rams down the exact same way that the Bears did. They shut down Todd Gurley. They eliminated the run game. They put it all on Jared Goff and watched him crap his pants uh, for 60 minutes. And um, that's pretty much what the Bears did. And they even showed a clip of uh, Sean McVay on the sideline. He was miked during the game saying, uh, like, recognizing early on. It's like, yep, that was the the Bears defense that they were playing. That's the Bears defense they're using. So, of course, you know, what was funny was I read an article before the Super Bowl saying that the Rams learned a lot about losing to the Bears. Like, apparently not, because the Patriots stole the Bears' template and used that to perfection to use uh, one of the best defensive performances in a Super Bowl to shut down uh, the Rams. So, you know, disappointing game. Very, 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 you know, bitter, not even bittersweet, very bitter playoff, uh, you know, playoffs, playoffs period, just playoff season, I guess I could call it, postseason um, you know, watching the watching the Rams beat the Cowboys by rushing for 200-something yards in the game. No way in hell did they, they do that against the uh, Bears. And then the Saints were nothing special in their two victories. The, the one over the – I mean, the Eagles almost beat them. You know, they were driving to, to beat the Eagles uh, before uh, Alshon crapped the bed there and let the ball slip through his hands. Surprise, surprise, routine catch right through his fingers – you know, he should have thrown it to where, Mar- you know, Alshon couldn't get to it so he could dive and catch it with one finger 
and then it would have been an awesome catch for Alshon and a first down for the Eagles. But uh, instead, routine catch slips right through his fingers, an interception and ball game for the uh, for the Saints. And then the NFC Championship game and the, you know the the hit that that wasn't called and uh, you know the just the Bears I think would have run right through the Saints. I know they would have run through the Rams. They and then. You know, who knows? Honestly, could they have beaten Brady and, and Belichick in the Super Bowl? <sighs> Man, those guys are tough uh, in the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, I would have loved to have seen it. I would have loved to have seen it, man. That would have been something to watch Mitch Trubisky do his best to, to outgun Tom Brady uh, in the Super Bowl. That really would have been something to watch. So hopefully it is something that we get to see in the future, a year from now, talking about a Super Bowl victory uh, and, and whatnot. But, uh We'll just have to wait and see. Six stinking months until the season starts again. Oy, not looking forward to it. It gets uh, long and arduous. But I'll be here for you. If you're here uh, for me, we'll get through this thing uh, together. So that is going to do it. I will be back. Keep your eyes open on the social media, on the Facebook page. Just search Bears Talk Underground or find me at uh, BTU underscore Larry or at uh, Armchair Bears on uh on twitter uh as well so uh, that's going to do it for me until then my name is larry d and this has been the bears talk underground this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. <laughs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.